episode 64 with author and astrologist Dosevia Trineau. Welcome to the Institute of Black Imagination. I'm your host, Dario Calmis, an artist, writer, brand consultant, and generally curious fellow. And each week we bring you a conversation from the pool of black genius to inspire, engage, and help you unleash your own imagination. Today's episode is with Arthur and astrologist Dosevia Trineau. Josevia is a West African astrologer who studies the stars to guide and empower. My fellow Scorpios may recognize her from her Instagram, at Scorpio Mystique, or maybe you know her from the Know the Zodiac app, which solidified her space among the stars as the first Black woman to have an astrology app on OS and Android. Her celestial journey began in Paris, France, and shortly thereafter moved across the pond to the suburbs of Snellville, Georgia. As a child, she discovered the magnitude and the powers of the universe. In a quest to better know herself, she started using the cosmos to guide her through her own life transitions. Her next transit landed her at the University of California, where she received her Bachelor of Arts degree in French and Narrative Studies. A magical encounter with mushrooms as a freshman was the nova that shifted her perspective on life and unveiled a connection between the body, the earth, and the stars. After completing her Master's of Arts degree in English Education at Columbia University, she returned to her native West Africa, where she curates immersive experiences in the motherland for those of African descent through her travel agency, Magic and Melanin. Now, this was also the site where her long-term relationship ended, leading her to write and heal through her debut book, Signs and Skymates, The Ultimate Guide to Astrological Compatibility, which is available wherever books are sold. Today's exploration is an exploration of the stars. So get your notebooks out. Dosevia walks us through the African origins of modern astrology, how stargazing is actually compatible, if not embedded within, Christianity, Islam, and other major religious practices. And she also explains what compatibility really means. Not to mention breaking down all of those astrological houses and alignments and, well, you know, you get the picture. Grab your paper, sharpen your pencils. Today's episode will be out of this world. Okay, who writes this stuff? Uh, We want to hear from you. So share your favorite moment with us over on Instagram and Twitter at Black Imagination. And be sure to check out our YouTube channel, The Institute of Black Imagination, and soar through the galaxy literally at IBI Digital at blackimagination.com where this and other episode and content reside. And without further ado, the magical Dosevia Trineau. Dosevia. Hello. I don't even know how to begin explaining how excited I am for this conversation and where it's going to go. Um, First of all, we have two Scorpios here. (laughs) So that's already everything. Really, truly. (laughs) 
But man, this, uh, I'm just so excited to commune with you, tap in. Um, and so with that, welcome. Bienvenue. Merci to beaucoup. the Institute of Black Imagination. Welcome, welcome, welcome. <laughs> I feel exactly where I'm meant to be. I feel like this meeting you in New York was divinely aligned and we were meant to be in this moment together to co-create magic. And I'm so grateful. Thank you for having me here. Ah, a pleasure. I have been following... Um, Scorpio Mystique and been guided by Scorpio Mystique for, I don't know, seven years, eight years. I have no idea. <laughs> um, and so this is also like talking to, you know, you know, the Beyonce of astrology. Um, wow. And I'm honored. <laughs> which is- I'm honored because Beyonce actually has very similar placements to as me. So her sun sign is Virgo, moon sign Scorpio, and my sun is Scorpio, moon sign Virgo. So that is an ultimate compliment. Thank you. Okay. I knew I had a little soap with Beyonce. I knew it. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> to start, who would you like to dedicate today's conversation to? Definitely Nova and Remy, my star seeds, incredible beings of light who inspire me daily. I have the privilege of being the portal through which they came into the world. And every single day, I'm blessed by their energy. So Nova and Remy, c'est pour vous. Okay. Nova, Nova, Nova and Remy. Yes. Okay. For you all. Um, So to start, like, who is Dosevia? Who? I live in Côte d'Ivoire, and what's beautiful about being here is the cars, the taxis, the vans, they have affirmations on them, often graffiti affirmations, inspirational quotes, and one that I see often is DMT, my initials, partial initials, because I have a long name. And DMT is also known as, scientifically, the chemical that's released when you die. And I've been thinking about that often, like, hmm, interesting that of all the initials I could have had, mine are DMT and they're connected to that. Even now, as I'm looking, I see the number 23 on an advertisement and I'm born on October 23rd. And I would say I am energy intrigued by synchronicity. I'm often deeply in awe at life's synchronicity, what has occurred, what's happening now and what is to come leaves me in awe. And it's my own energy that's connected to that infinite source of creation. That's what I am. Mm. Mm. That's, uh, I think, a beautiful kind of segue into beginning to think about signs and communication, right? Um, you know, I'm, I'm very much a believer. Um, in the communication of the universe, right? With us 
at all times, right? If we pay attention. But when did you first begin noticing that there were communic there there was communicai, right? Like there were actual messages coming through multiple mediums. When did that begin to occur? Wow. Two potent feelings come to mind for some reason. The first one really intrigues me that it came to mind, but for some reason, me as a baby came to mind because I feel like that's the purest, most divine connection when we have come in an environment that allows us to tap into that because there's all kinds of circumstances. But in my case, that is connected to the fact that there's this divine knowing that was always there. But the second activation that I really feel like everything changed was around the age of 18, around 11, 11, 11, I chose to take part in magical mushrooms for the first time with friends. And when I did, that connection to earth and the universe became something like a veil that I can never unsee and I can only see it more and more. So from that point on, a lot has shifted in me. And that was around the time that I started Scorpio Mystique. Mm, mm, mm. And this was back in, this is like 11 years ago? 2011, yes. Almost 13. Oh, 2011, yeah. Almost, almost 13. Yeah, almost 12 now, my mouth. <laughs> Wow. Wow. And so, you know, let, let's like, like, let's hop into like the center of the meat. Like, let's just cut right in. What is astrology? <laughs> what, what is, what is, what is astrology? The terms curiosity about the cosmos and a willingness to honor your connection to the cosmos, the cycles of the cosmos, the cycles within yourself. So stargazers. Original astrology was connected to astronomy. It was not at all separated. And our original astronomers, some of the talents that they had, such as the Dogon of Mali, allowed them to know things about the cosmos that took, quote unquote, modern scientists much longer to find out. But for them, science wasn't just science. It was directly linked to spirituality. So when there was a full moon and they noticed that the waves in the ocean were more passionate, or when there was a new moon and they noticed that when they planted a seed, it was much more fertile, they understood it was a connection to what was happening around us within us and in the cosmos. So if you are curious about the cosmos and the cycles of the cosmos, you can be, and I would say you are an astrologer, but it takes patience mm. to study those cycles. Mm. And so, so when you had this experience with you know, the mushrooms and this connection was revealed, right? A connection that was always there. Yes. But now a veil, you know, had been lifted. What were those next steps? Like what was what where did your curiosity take you? Oh, good. So I'm very grateful that I around this time had already been studying astrology. So 
what happened is that I started embodying astrology more because previously my Virgo moon just loved taking in all the insights of, okay, the moon is in this sign. This is how it influences us. This is the best time to do money moves. This is the best time. And that's great. It really helps me on a practical level. But it was around that time that I started embodying it when I realized, okay, maybe I don't need to follow just one set path professionally because even at the beginning of my college career at USC in Los Angeles, I was finding myself struggling when I was in work-study positions that have had me doing very redundant things. And that was, as you had mentioned prior, the entrepreneur in me that didn't even know she was begging to be released. And that could be seen in my chart through Mercury, Sun, and Pluto in Scorpio, Venus and Sagittarius, placements that demanded independence and self-autonomy. And so embodying my chart really helped me live the life that I truly love. And through doing that, I was like, I can't really gatekeep this. I have to help others. And that's my Virgo moon. Not every human might have had the same reaction, but that was mine. And my Virgo moon happens to be in the 10th house of career. Once again, embodying my chart, being of service through something I'm passionate about, something that becomes my legacy, 10th house energy. Okay, so let me just circle back and like catch the listeners up. So this is Dosevia Trino. Yeah, Trino. Oh, oui. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, creator of uh, not only Scorpio Mystique, but uh, the Know the Zodiac app, which I believe is like the number one astrology app on iTunes. Oh, wow. Uh, I think you're speaking that into existence. But what I do no. know. <laughs> Wait, did I misread that? I mean, I feel like you just put me there. So thank oh, you, well, Institute it's gonna of be Black after the- Imagination. Like, seriously. <laughs> Thank you for that. Y'all are the embodiment of your name and your mission. Thank you. What I do know is I believe I am the only African and Black woman astrologer to have an astrology app on iOS and Android. And I hope that's not going to be the case forever. Because unfortunately, as I talk about in the book, the field of astrology tends to be whitewashed now, which is why more and more Black and Indigenous astrologers should receive the attention and spotlight that they deserve. So thank you for giving me a platform. Oh, yeah. Oh, of course. Of course. I, I literally, I thought I literally saw that, like the number one, like astrology app, but you know what? I, I, I must've been in a vision. <laughs> <laughs> I must've been in a vision, but so, you know, so Scorpio Mystique, you know, know the Zodiac app. Um, you also have a kind of, uh, like a homecoming travel agency um, called Magic and Melanin. Yes. Um, which is, um, bringing people from the diaspora back to, you know, the motherland, to Africa, to, you know, help them on that healing journey. And then you also have, you know, an EP, you know, you are, you know, a musician as well. You actually studied this at UC, uh, USC, yes. before getting your master's in English, you know, at Columbia University. So like, that's just the, that's just like the background. So listeners know like who who's who's talking about you know astrology who who is this person um but i'm really interested because you know we've been talking as if all of these things are like real and like factual and happening and many people 
rightfully so, are like, this is pseudoscience. Like, what are you talking about? Like, I'm supposed to be following the stars. Like, as a moon, like, like, why should skeptics be even paying attention to any of this? Or should they? Mm. Yes, it is very valid because astrology on a more popularized level has been reduced to stereotypes about the sign or just reading the back of the horoscope in a magazine. But astrology at its core is very, very scientific in nature because all the planets, oh, one second, (coughs) excuse me, all of the planets that we refer to in a birth chart are planets that are factually aligned in that position. And NASA has the exact same coordinates as we do. The difference is that current day, most NASA scientists only view this for scientific purposes. The fact that, for example, someone could be born when Venus is in Scorpio and makes a 90 degree angle to Saturn in Aquarius. A NASA scientist would have these coordinates and that exact degree of the placement of someone's birth also mapped out somewhere. But an astrologer would have studied cycles upon cycles and not only on their own. It takes the legacy of all of the astrologers before us of what it means when someone is born, when Venus is square, Saturn, what events occur in humanity around the times that Venus is square, Saturn. And that's actually why some of the biggest politicians dating back to, I don't even know where to begin, definitely in the BC, pre-BC area, we've had astrology used to predict major global events or to plan attacks or to plan romantic alliances. Astrology has been used because it's been an effective way of understanding the cosmos. The danger is when people feel like they have to be overly dependent on astrology. Oh, the moon is in this sign, can't do this. Mercury's retrograde, can't do this. Once again, that is a stereotype of astrology and it's used for clickbait purposes. So skeptics have the right to be skeptic, but I will say, if you read Signs and Skymates, I can guarantee you'll be much more open to integrating astrology into your life. Oh, yeah, that's the part I forgot. Uh, Signs and Skymates, your new book, which is everything. <laughs> um, and and really, I think, um, speaks to what does it mean to have, um, you know, a Black woman bringing her full ancestral surround to, you know, this work. Um, You know, you spoke, you know, earlier about, you know, astrology and astronomy actually being the same Mm -hmm. discipline that was then parsed out really as a result of the Enlightenment, right? Mm -hmm. So the Enlightenment, you know, reason, you know, trumps all, which also gave us the scientific method, um, which, you know, has also given us, you know, incredible, you know, amounts of technology. Um, And I think, you know, many people listening and, you know, yourself included can really feel that there is a desire for the fleshing out of this kind of sterile way of looking at the world. Right. Um, And, and so, but you, you, you said so many things that I'm sure people are like, Girl, square to what exactly. the degree in whom, like the conjunction. Um, so, <laughs> so let's let's like you know. I just want to like, what are we talking about? So, I think you're talking about like 
a natal chart. Yes, yeah, so let's so start what there. Let's is, start there. What is a what is that? Because you know, you know, like I said, I'm a Scorpio. You're a Scorpio. Most people kind of know where their sun sign is, which means like where I guess where the sun was when I was born, um, and it happens every thirty to thirty one days or something mm-hmm, like that. Mm-hmm. But like you're saying, there's so much more. Yeah. Right. There's rising, mm-hmm. there's or ascendant, there's a moon. Like what 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 is this? So for what those is a chart? this is a beautiful question and I'm very happy that you brought me back down to level one. And it's important <laughs> for everyone to know. First things first, I like when people can learn themselves through their chart. So at knowthezodiac.com, you can calculate your chart for free. So if you want to do that while you listen, it will already be an enlightening experience if you don't know what your birth chart is. A birth chart is a map of the stars at the exact time, place, and location, and date of your birth. Ideally, you would know your exact birth date in order to get the most specific birth chart. If you do not know your birth date or birth time, you would want to work with an astrologer. And especially because someone asked me recently, someone who didn't know their exact birth date, that takes a specific one-on-one connection with someone. But if you do not know your birth time, you can still put 12 p.m. in the calculator and you would disregard your rising sign. You would disregard all of the house placements. And based on the degree that the moon is in, if it's close to zero, between zero and four degrees and 26 and 29 degrees, you would disregard. But if it's anywhere between four degrees and 26 degrees, your moon sign is most likely accurate, even if you don't know your time of birth. And so your birth chart The way that we go through a solar cycle when we're like, oh, for now, for example, it's about to be Aquarius season. People know that Aquariuses are born end of January through end of February. We have those same types of returns for all of the different planets in our solar system. The moon goes through every sign every two and a half days. So that's why someone could be a Scorpio, but could have a Scorpio friend who has a different moon sign than them. And so when they're like, oh, I don't at all relate to Scorpio characteristics when people say Scorpios are intense and shy and homebodies, it could be because that Scorpio was born when the moon was in Sagittarius, for example. So they feel much more naturally jovial and more extroverted than someone who could be born with the Virgo moon like me. So your birth chart will continue to show all of the placements Sun, Moon, Mercury, Venus, Mars, Jupiter, Saturn, Uranus, Neptune, and Pluto. And it also helps you know what the meaning of those planets are. Knowing your moon sign means you can get deep understanding of who you are when no one's around. Your intuitive knowing of yourself. And your sun sign is more your core personality. Your rising sign, which is calculated when you know your time of birth, is the impression people have of you. And that's sometimes tricky for people because it could still be very different than who they think they are. So I like to start introducing people to the sun, moon, and rising so they're not too overwhelmed. But soon after you read that, you're going to be curious about your Venus placement. Venus is a planet of love, magnetism, helps you figure out who you're compatible with, but also how you attract money. And you're going to be curious about your Mars placement, the planet of action, 
shows the type of way you tend to assert yourself in the world and the things you're afraid of doing. So your chart is a compass for you to get to know, I would say the ways that you tend to naturally and subconsciously move through life because most of our actions come from a subconscious place. So your chart reveals you to yourself. Mm. And then you mentioned something about houses. Like now what is what are the houses That's and those good. placements? A great question as well. And I would say one of the best ways to deepen the layers of understanding after you know your sign placements is house, once again, only if you know your time of birth. But the houses, the birth chart is split up into 12 houses, sectors of influence. The first house is about identity and self. The second house is about money, security, and values. The third house is about communication. The fourth house is about roots and your home and your past. The fifth house is about fun, creativity, true love, being able to let your inner child out. The sixth house is about health, service, wellness, structure, routine. The seventh house is about relationships and partnerships, not only romantic, but also creative and financial and professional. The eighth house is about depth, death, joint merging, collaborations, and the psychology of humans. The ninth house is about spirituality and long journeys and education. The 10th house is career and legacy and reputation. The 11th house is your social avenues, your technological networks, community and revolution. And the 12th house is one of the deepest houses of all of spirituality. It can also be viewed as the house of hidden enemies. And it can also be viewed as the house of spiritual rebirth. And when you look at your chart, you will start to see where your sun is placed. If you know your time of birth, it'll be in a certain house. Your moon, it'll be in a certain house, so on and so forth. And you may notice that certain houses repeat themselves multiple times. So let's say some of you listening are looking at your chart on knowthezodiac.com and saying, oh, wow, I have four fifth house placements. You would want to study fifth house energy because it means that a big core of your energy is directed often subconsciously at that energy. And if you're not diving into the energy of that chart, of what's in your chart, you could actually feel really dissatisfied. So if somebody has fifth house energy, which means fun, play, acting, of course, it all depends on where it's specifically placed in their chart. But for the most part, it indicates that they need to let themselves have more fun play more, and let their inner child take the lead. But if they're in a job that they don't enjoy, they're just doing things because they think they have to, they're following societal conditioning, they'll never feel in alignment with their chart. So your chart can also be a great wake-up call for you to what your spirit has been asking you to do and remember all along, but it can also make you deeply uncomfortable. If you see your chart and you realize, oh, wow, deep down, I know that's what I wanted, but now I really have to admit that's really what's going to help me live an aligned life. Your chart can't force you to get up in the morning and do what you're supposed to do. Only you can. So it's a big responsibility when you have that awareness of yourself. Mm. I hope y'all were taking notes because that... <laughs> now I'm like, oh, wait, where's, where's my phone? Girl? Where's my house? <laughs> um, 
<laughs> what house am I in, girl? Am I living in my truth? Um, <laughs> you know, you know, I, 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 I love this. I think this. You, first of all, you just schooled me. Um, I'm gonna have to go back and listen to this again right after this. It's so exciting. Um, but also thinking about like, you know, astrology being like one of, if not the oldest form, you know, of spirituality, right? It came prior to Judaism, Christianity, you know, Islam, like um, many, many of the religions that we practice. If, uh, but can it coexist? Like, like, you know, I, I love Jesus, mm -hmm. you know, and he died for my sins. Mm -hmm. What does that have to do with Jupiter? Wow. Like, <laughs> wow. 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 I love this question. It can coexist and it is coexisting. And what's beautiful about the Bible is you can see references to astrology in the Bible because the 12 disciples are connected to the 12 zodiac signs. There are certain words if you look up the epistemology, you'll actually see it means zodiac wheel or things like that. So some of the sermons actually talk about astrology in ways that aren't very overt. And so what's also important to know is I was also raised Catholic. I know. And every day I do my Notre Père qui est aux cieux, que ton nom soit sanctifié, in French, because I know a lot of prayers in French. And it's very connected to intention. And a lot about astrology is also about intention setting at new moons, intention setting and moving in alignment with what the universe, which can be viewed as God or Jesus, wants for you. At the same time, there were shadows to the Catholic religion in the sense that it didn't want competition. So I think a lot of this taboo comes from the fact that the Catholic Church in many ways at times acted like a business when it came to we need to have the attention because we know that there are both light and shadows in all religion. And sometimes the Catholic Church used their religion to condition people, make them feel like they're not worthy. It happened a lot in Africa when, when there was enslavement in America at the same time. In Africa, people who were still here were being enslaved in different ways, especially mentally, when they were being told they can't practice their indigenous religions, when they were being told, if you want to be saved, you have to believe in Jesus like we do. When in Cape Coast, where Africans were enslaved before going and captured before going to forcibly being brought to the Americas, there was a huge Catholic church and the this people enslaving them would be at church worshiping God while hearing the cries of the enslaved. So there's this, when you have that history of knowing that there's also deep oppression connected to all religions, it makes you look at the root of spirituality as something that can transcend the division in religion, that can more unite it. I feel like astrology is the core of all spirituality, the curiosity of, of being on earth and being able to be respectful to nature, being able to be grateful for the sunset, being able to be grateful for the moon's transits. But at the same time, mm. it can get complicated when there's multiple spiritual forces at play. Oh. <laughs> 
okay. I mean, <laughs> we'll get into we'll get into the shadow a little bit later, but you know, wear us out. Um, also, you know, you know, I I love that you bring up the Catholic Church uh, because I think it's interesting. I don't think many um, individuals realize, particularly you know, from the Black community, that we are descendants of the Catholic Church, right? Like you know, Protestantism mm-hmm. is you know, it was the great division, mm-hmm. right? You know, after Martin Luther, 1515, like, so we are descendants of this legacy, whether or not we call ourselves Catholic mm-hmm. or not. Um, it is a part of us. Um, I want to double tap on these charts a little bit, and then I'm going to pull back to your story. Um, because, you know, obviously there are, you know, neophytes, which means um, newcomers to you know, astrology and charts. I am kind of like midway up in there. Um, but there's, I know there's a couple of experts listening too. I know there's some people who know their charts as well. And so this is a question for, you know, those wanting to go even deeper. You know, what's an often overlooked or underestimated yet significant aspect of someone's astrological chart? I.e. like midheaven, um, the Mars, their first, you know. Yeah, that's a beautiful question. Thank you. Juno is the asteroid of marriage and partnership. And I feel like what's powerful is people often look at their Venus and Mars sign to try to figure out their compatibility with someone, whether it's friendship or romantic. They're like, well, my Venus is in this, theirs is this, this is how we might vibe. But Juno actually shows you who you want really deep down, even if it's completely different than your Venus, your social magnetism, your aura, what you tend to think you should want. So Venus is more what you think you should want. And Juno is actually, if you're really, really being honest with yourself, this is what you really want. And it took me It was only two years ago that I really looked into my Juno. I had always been very tuned into my Venus and Sag and understood it made me very free-spirited and adventurous and lover of travel. And it just made me think I need to be with someone who is as equally free-spirited. And when I looked into my Juno and saw that it's in cancer, it actually made me reflect and be like, hmm, Maybe when I say that, it's because a part of me is afraid of what it means to consistently show up for someone who shows me how much they love me, pours into me consistently because I'm so Mm. used to being of service. So I really sat with that. And then as I was setting my intention for the type of partner that I wanted to bring into my life, I I allowed my Juno placement to inspire me. And I used those traits as I wrote about who I would want. It was during a new moon. And shortly after I connected with a cancer and it's been very amazing to see how setting an intention and allowing the Juno energy to teach you can bring partners into your life that have healing aptitudes. So look into your Juno placement and allow that energy to teach you and transform you, even if and especially if. It's a sign that you always thought you would never get along with or that would or the opposite that you thought would be too clingy or too much or too emotional. There's something for them to teach you if you're willing to learn. Mm. Um, 
Mine must be a Gemini girl. <laughs> anyway, um, <laughs> you have to let me know. And, you have to let me. Know. And we'll and we'll and we'll talk about compatibility a little bit later. This is really good foreshadowing mm-hmm. to signs and sky mates because that is a, a, that is juicy. Um, but you know, kind of thinking, you know, of using. Uh, astrology is also like a tool of like healing you know you do speak in the book about kind of like the ethics of you know using other people's charts you know and you know those the permissions right needed and granted right because you're kind of peering into someone's way of being um but like how could someone use astrological charts um like the astrological charts of family members to perhaps process, think about, and or heal from family trauma? You are very, very, very much aligned with where I'm at in my life too, because writing this book was so vulnerable because I opened up about my relationship with my own family and how astrology helped me work through it. So now I feel like I am at a really good place to help people see that even the most tumultuous connections, unless they're inherently abusive and dangerous to either party, have the capacity to be deeply healed through a patiently unpacking the layers of the human that is in front of you. And the reason why I say human is because often a lot of our family issues can come from either people that we view as our parents and therefore we put the label as parents or as siblings and we keep that label and expectation of siblings. First thing about astrology is look at the person's chart on a human to human level first. Get to know Mm. who they are and their inclinations and their desires on a human to human level. Release the expectations of the label first. And when I started doing that for my own parents, it really helped me so much because it helped me figure out their inherent patterns and how some of it aligns with me and harmonizes. An example could be that both of my parents have a lot of cancer energy in their chart. Even though my dad is a Taurus, my mom is a Leo. They both have a prominent amount of cancer and my Mars sign, the planet of action, one that rules Scorpio is also in Mars. So we have that natural family healing, intuitive connection that allows us to have cute moments in the family group chat However, because Taurus and Leo square off with Scorpio energy, and I talk about that in the book, it forms a 90 degree angle of more friction. We often, especially when I was younger, would butt heads uh, and it would cause tension and cause drama. So when you have an awareness, for example, of, okay, these are the key planets. These are the key ways they tend to act and move. You're less likely to take things personally and you're more likely to put yourself in their shoes and get curious. But it's a two way street. If one person wants to use astrology as a tool for healing and the other doesn't even want to give it a try or thinks that, you know, it's not real, it's not going to be as easy, but it can still help you heal individually and on someone else's timing. Maybe they'll be open to it, too, but it can still just help you find closure be like, okay. I see, and this is what I have to do. Just because you understand someone doesn't mean you have to give them permission to have access to your energy and always 
if you want to set the boundary because you know that someone has a certain inclination, you have the right to. But it's up to you to figure out and your chart can help you the best way to do so in a way that has empathy for the other person. Astrology at its core is supposed to facilitate empathy, but the dangers of it on a uh, mainstream, overly generalized level is it does the opposite. It leads to people categorizing everyone. They're a Gemini. They're a Scorpio. I'll never date a Sag. I'll never be with a Libra. It's very dangerous. And I really hope that we're going to move past that this decade and just never return to that world. It's a, it's a very dangerous mm. world. It's a very dangerous world. I'm not even joking about how dangerous it is. But I'm why gonna... is it why is it dangerous? Like, what's this? I mean, you mentioned in the book the shadow side of <sighs> astrology. Like, what what? We see these black mirror episodes and things like that of how people can, you know, cast people out for reasons and social codes and credits and things like that. And I feel like people's subconscious views of the signs when stereotyped leads to them pushing away relationships that could literally be a catalyst for everything they wanted. And it also leads to them forgetting that in their own chart, they most likely have. Everybody has a little bit of every sign in their chart, even when you don't see it, because there's different uh, seasons of the zodiac. Whenever it's Gemini season, a certain part of your chart that has Gemini is activated, etc. And so astrology is more holistic than people realize. It really is about the integration of all of ourselves. So when we reject one sign fiercely because of past experiences, that doesn't mean your pain is not valid, but it's a human to human related pain. You cannot attribute it to one sign. And so when we reject signs based on that mentality, uh, we reject ourselves. I guess, girl, it just sounds like you've never met an Aquarius. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, to prove my point, my Saturn is an Aquarius. So I, I just made it. And I'm making it through my Saturn return in Aquarius. So I mean, it means that I'm supposed to learn from Aquarius energy. People born around 91 through 93 also are going through their Saturn return in Aquarius, as well as people around the age of 60. So my mom and I are going through our Saturn return at the same time. And people around the age of 88, every 29 years, Saturn returns to the position you were in. It was in when you were born. And it helps you go through a spiritual glow up, but it doesn't come easy. It comes with a lot, mm. a lot of tough lessons and growing pains that not everybody even feels like they can make it through. Ooh, I must be right there. I think I'm right. Yeah, I think mine started in 2019. Mm -hmm, sounds mm -hmm. about right. Mm -hmm. you know, Saturn be so fierce. Ooh, it's like it's like it's like it's like you know eclipse season. Um, mm hmm. Mm hmm. Um, so, you know, kind of pulling it to, you know, your own life story and, um, you know, trajectory, you know, growing up, you know, in Paris, you know, starting in Paris and then really kind of coming of age in Atlanta, you know, going to school, you know, West coast, coming back East coast. And then I even remember like when you moved to Africa Right. So you've been touching a lot of continents and experiencing blackness in a multitude of ways. How has that, you know, experience really 
shaped your point of view of the world, right? Because you're understanding yourself in your body, right? Your, your, um, you know, your perceived black, you know, mm-hmm, cisgendered mm-hmm. female body in multiple cultures and spaces, right? Like, what was that experience like? How does it inform your sense of self? And what is its relationship to the creation of your travel agency, Magic and Melanin? I'm grateful to my parents for the multicultural exposure that I have received. And it always was connected and rooted in my African ancestry, but I didn't really understand how deep until around the time that my grandmother, my Mima, she would do back and forths between Togo and Atlanta. And I was often used to her being here every few years for several months at a time. And around the age of 86, she told my mom she was ready to go back and she was blind. So there was something in me that told me I don't think my Mima's coming back to Atlanta after this. Um, and I hadn't been back to Togo in over nine years. So at the time I was 24 and studying at Columbia University after having gotten my bachelor's at USC. And I'm really backtracking in my life as I'm talking because I wanted to go to USC so bad after having been in Atlanta. And when I was in Atlanta, I wasn't First in Atlanta, I was in Snellville, Georgia. That's really where I grew up. I don't always talk about it, but I'm happy that you brought that up because I grew up in Snellville, Georgia from the age of seven to 15. And I went to school at Atlanta International School. So even just the commute from the suburbs to Atlanta, where I was surrounded by multiple cultures. I was learning French, English, Latin, My colleagues were learning German, Chinese, Spanish. So I was in this world and melting pot. That was between the age of third grade and sixth grade. And that's what I knew. And I, I just tapped into the humanity of it all while still understanding class privileges, while still understanding, oh, well, the popular kids here still seem to have like longer textured hair than I do. And, you know, my Afro puffs, I mean... I still, there were not that many Africans and African-Americans at Atlanta International School, but there was a lot of blend of cultures. So I still understood in my childlike age that as an African girl, I still stood out in many ways and I still had to kind of find my way, even if it was a multicultural pot of energy. And then a jarring difference occurred when I, my parents told me, okay, Things are changing with dad's job and his benefits. So we're going to go to public school now in the suburbs. So not far from where you are living, you're going to go to public school. And they put me in one of the best schools of Snellville, Georgia. However, even less Africans and Black people. So I remember the dosivia of third grade entering my class and seeing young kids wearing whatever the equivalent of limited to was and all these things (laughs) and just being like, okay, where am I going to sit? And I don't really see anyone that looks like me, but I'm going to just do my best to fit in. And I did do my best to fit in because flash forward to 
when I did make it back to Atlanta, but this time North Atlanta High School. So a more urban school in Buckhead. Now it's gotten a little bit more gentrified, but back then it was way more Black people than I had ever experienced in school. And I go there and people are like, okay, cool. You're a French girl. You kind of speak white, but we'll accept you. And so I've always had these multi-layers of the double consciousness, triple consciousness, quadruple consciousness. But luckily my chart, because I was into it from a very young age, helped me have a knowledge of self that was like, okay, yes, like I'm still really a cool person and that's what matters. So basically I viewed myself as that beyond any labels. And I think it's a privilege that I was able to do that because I was able to sometimes be viewed as a French girl, sometimes be viewed as an African girl, sometimes be viewed. And so I just knew who I was at my core. But it was when I went to USC and worked as a Ella Baker trainer at the Children's Defense Fund and started understanding about the school to prison pipeline and started connecting my brother's experience in Atlanta to mine and realizing, oh, he actually got in trouble with police way more than I did. I was able to use my privileges of being a well-spoken African, French, Black girl, straight A student, IB student. I was able to use that to navigate American society in a way where I actually could empathize for when they said Black people are the most oppressed, but I didn't necessarily always feel like I was because I had huge privileges. First-generation immigrants of Africa, especially Black women, African women immigrants are some of the most privileged in America, and we have to admit it. It's just as simple as that. So we, we get more access in the publishing world. We get more access in the acting world. We get more access in the modeling world, all three industries that I've done. And when I was activated by the Ella Baker trainer experience and saw the experience of most African-Americans and their ancestry who did not get to have the connection to Africa that is as direct as I did, it made me think, why am I taking that for granted? I haven't been to Togo in nine years. My Mima's going back and she's not coming back. And so I felt the call. And I went. It was supposed to be just for vacation. And it turned into, I need to move back. Me being pregnant with my second child also was like, okay, that's where I want to raise my children. And I also was like, my friends, they came with me one. They came one day with me. And it was on that trip when I saw their joy. And it was not always joyful. It was also moments of deep pain as we had to face the truth of the return. It's highs, high highs and low lows and feelings that come up and wondering what home means and all these feelings. I was like, okay, Dose, you know that you have to, you have to help others come home. Like, you know that this is part of your mission. And so we just celebrated magic's, Magic and Melanin's fifth year uh, just on the 16th of January. And I'm really grateful. that is incredible congratulations thank you you know shout out shout out to listening to the call you know i'm you know and i'm right there with you um you know it's actually part of the long arc of the institute of black imagination um is is actually creating um, a, a scholarship that allows for individuals to return 
um, back to Africa because it is so just important. Um, you know, I, my, let me see, I think I went in 2015 um, on a flight deal, girl. Like literally, I found some random flight deal to fly nonstop from New York to Johannesburg for like five ninety five. It was crazy, (laughs) and I was just like, "Sure, I'll do it." Like I literally, I was just like, "I think I have that money." Like let's go. I landed on my birthday. I timed it so that I would land in South Africa on my birthday, and um, you know, and outside, you know. I don't want to like over romanticize mm-hmm, or mm-hmm, you know a mm-hmm. story right like everyone has their own experience mm-hmm. but what I what I did see was you know one obviously just the importance of travel it's just it's just immensely important right just to understand the ways in which other people live and move right like I remember going to China and was like they don't <laughs> I can't believe all these people are going to hell. Like, this doesn't make any sense. Like, you know, and I was like, you know, because once you see, you're like, some things you just have to question. But anyway, (laughs) I digress. But like being on the continent and being a Black American, you realize that you you don't realize what you've been kept from. Mm. Right? Because if you don't know, you don't know you're missing it. Mm -hmm. But you don't know that you've been missing a sense of like home or um, that you've actually never been seen. You've actually never been seen in your entire life. You've been living your entire life thinking that you're, you know, whatever. Nobody's actually seen you because you're not in an environment where people have the cultural memory to remember Mm -hmm. you, right? And so I go to South Africa and I'm sitting at this like, barber slop shop slash bar slash car wash as you know we do and you know i'm sitting there with two african women and they're like you know i don't know your temperament i think maybe your people are like from swana mm-hmm, but like mm-hmm. either like but definitely not like you know no not not kosa but you know and definitely not like zulu because you're not like you know kind of warrior like and so and they're they're picking the pieces of me apart, right? The quality of my skin, my temperament, my cheekbones, my neck, because they have a cultural memory of it, right? To associate it with. And so one, seeing how after even 400 years, like it's still there, but two, you're in a place where people can actually see you. And I found that to be absolutely fascinating to realize that there's a large population of people, you know, in the Americas who've never been seen and not realizing what they're missing out on in the process of actually being visible yet invisible. (sighs) Visible, but not seen. And that also goes both ways because just as much as there's this big calling for African-Americans to return home, there's a big calling for Africans to be seen by the diaspora in a way that allows us to feel more united, but it can sometimes seem like the opposite. So when I see diaspora wars on Twitter, I still view it as a calling for love, a calling mm. to be seen by each other because it's colonialism and imperialism, colorism, all of these different systems that were put in place to divide because they know that melanated people are actually the majority. So even the the idea of calling us the minority is a is a psychological trick to make us forget because if we remember, as you say, the remembrance 
if we remember, then the unity makes us unstoppable. And it's important for me as well as someone who has a homegoing agency to not just talk about the ideals of Africa must unite or the diaspora can return home, but the practical implications and one of the biggest things that causes the division and the tension um, and a lot of critique of the diaspora returning, for example, to Ghana, the whole year of return, the, the dangers of that is that there's still the dollar privilege. So what's mm-hmm. trippy for African-Americans is that they go from a society where they've been told and they see valid truths that show that they are disenfranchised in America, that they are viewed as second-class citizens, that they're mistreated and abused, to a society and world where because of the access to the dollar and the fact that a lot of African countries have currencies that are much, much lower in value compared to the dollars, so therefore the dollar has higher, higher buying privilege and buying power, it causes an inherent inequity, a financial inequity. And that's where we need to figure out some sort of equilibrium and have these open conversations if we're going to establish this continued return. Africans Mm -hmm. also have a huge privilege when, unfortunately, not all Africans are keeping their mother tongue. Even me, I have to relearn it because I wasn't taught it as a child. But it's still a huge privilege to be rooted still on the continent, to feel the sun, because the continent is the source of humanity. So you're naturally, in a way, I, I like to say Africans have a natural vibranium when they can touch the African soil. It depends what type of um, level they tap into it because Africa is very, many parts of Africa are are very modernized. So you can come to Africa and feel like you're in America, which can be viewed as it's complicated once again. So there's all these layers. And if you're open to the layers when you return, both as an African and as an African-American and understanding that you're looking at your mirror, beneath it all, we are the same. And so I hope I hope this decade also helps bring us from diaspora wars and continental wars to true healing and unity through having conversations like this, the uncomfortable ones and being aware. Yeah, 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 absolutely. It's really interesting because you also, you know, at least for, you know, for me also realizing like, oh shit, how American you are, right? Like, and the ways that Americanness shows up, like wanting to, you know, interrupt people or like have your voice heard. It's like high level of individualism, like all these things, you know, still show up, um, you know, in the content, which can be very jarring, which creates these tensions as well. Oh yes. And what, what I love though was like in those spaces of tension, there was a real desire to connect. There was always kind of like kind of rooted in love. And so even though these tensions would happen, you could walk away, you know, kind of holding hands in a way. And it's it's kind of like two like estranged cousins who were told oh, yes. um, stories about each other because their mothers hated each other or something. And now they come together <laughs> like, oh you actually you're cool. Like you're cool. Like your family. Like, oh my God. Exactly. <laughs> um, but but tapping tapping a little bit into this experience you had once you returned to the continent, you know, it also brought up, you know, some own some of your own kind of romantic um challenges mm-hmm, you know mm-hmm, that mm-hmm, became mm-hmm. um 
the dissolution of your relationship, mm-hmm. you know, yes. so kind of thinking about compatibility, like what, what was that experience and, and, and kind of guiding us into, you know, the creation of your book, Signs and Skymates. <laughs> because my moon is in the 10th house in Virgo, I have a pattern of at times pouring my energy into work as a way to escape my feelings. So I'm glad that you brought this question up because recently as the book has come out, it's given more space for me to really think about the trajectory. And one thing I would say is going back to the motherland connected me more to my spirituality and allowed me to hear myself more. And it also led me to have more non-negotiables. And when I was able to hear myself more and adhere to my non-negotiables, that's when I knew that a separation, because I, I wanted to take a moderate approach and I believe in couples therapy and marriage counseling, but I knew a separation and a break was necessary. But alas, there's still pride, there's ego, there's influences, external influences. And the one thing I wish, because it's retrograde season, so it's good to reflect, that younger Dosevia and my partner, the father of my children, could have learned more was tapping into community because we went from living in our New York Harlem apartment with our one and a half year old daughter to having moved into a compound not far from my grandmother's house, but still a lot of attention from other people on us because we're the Americans coming and we have these plans to bring the people back to the motherland and not everyone has the same social economic status as us. And so there was a naivete that we kind of had, kind of like what you said about the Americans and we're like, we're coming, this is our new adventure, this is us. And the the tapping into the community in an intentional and selective way means tapping into my elders and learning from them. And through that knowledge, we could have probably had an even more protected union. However, Mm. I'm very happy for everything, even though it's been a lot of moments of pain, I, I, I definitely can say pain, I'm now at the part because me and my children's father are both going through our Saturn return in Aquarius at the same time. And there was even a time in one of our previous co-parenting conversations where he reminded that to me. And he said, I know it's been challenging on a personal level. We've done a really good job as co-parents, but I know that we're both still healing from our separation, but also remember that we're going through our Saturn return. And that was very interesting. I was like, okay, well, <laughs> like I really let my ego go at that time. And I was like, that is very true. We are going through a Saturn return. And so writing the book was to help other people. I got married at 23 years old. I became a mother at 22. And I learned a lot since then. And now I'm 30. And I'm grateful for everything I've learned. And the book was like, if you slow down and accept your relationship, not just the rosy parts, because sometimes we 
tend to highlight the things that do make us compatible. But you're really honest with yourself and your partner about the things that are the challenges. And you both decide, is this worth it? Is this worth continually showing up? Are we willing to be our best selves? Are we willing to take a break if we need to? Are we willing to let go if it's codependent? Are we willing to study each other? Are we willing to let go of what the other said three years and 10 months ago? Note to self. So I'm able to hug past Josevia and hug my past husband now because I do feel like our destiny was to create Nova and Remy. And also he helped me in a huge way with magic and melanin and Scorpio mystique and know the Zodiac. And I've also poured to him, poured into him a lot. And so I'm grateful now while the pain still exists and signs and skymates became an offering to help other people through my own experiences as an astrologer, but also as a human. Mm. And an offering it is, you know, you, you spoke a little bit earlier about compatibility, but I think you you have a really interesting take on compatibility. How do you define compatibility? Mm. The synergy that we have, the consistent synergy that we have with another being and with a skymate. And beings don't have to be humans. They can be your plants. They could be your pets. They can even be the city that you decide to live in or the job that you decide to pursue. Because acts of creation, in my eyes, are also living, breathing things. They have a birth chart, too. So that's why business astrology is great if you want to be an entrepreneur and you want to choose a path that feels good for you. Being clear on the date that you start your business can have a big influence on how compatible you are with your business. I was just looking up my birth chart for when I started to know the Zodiac and it's a Taurus. And I'm like, this really does explain the more slow and steady, but yet very consistent approach I have to it. Mm. So compatibility is your consistent synergy. But I also like to use the computing definition of compatibility And that means that when software is compatible with another software, but when it's not compatible, adjustments need to be made in order to reestablish the compatibility. So compatibility isn't something that's fixed. It's something that's flowing with the awareness that you will sometimes outgrow a part of the relationship, both with yourself and with others. And you can also grow into a relationship with yourself and with others. Mm, mm, I love I I love that. So so that means that any two people can be compatible if they're willing to make the necessary adjustments. Is that that like- and there are also seasons in compatibility. So your chart will mm. sh- yes, there are certain seasons where you're more compatible with someone than another. And that's deeper, I'd say, advanced level of astrology, but you can already tap into it. And there are resources in the book where I say I share websites where if you put in your birth information, you'll be able to see where the current planets are activating your chart. So for me right now, we're in Capricorn season. 
it activates my third house of communication. So it was divine timing for a podcast to be scheduled now. So I'm compatible with this moment. But if it was mm. Libra season or the very beginning of Scorpio season, my 12th house of solitude would have been activated. And I would have most likely been like, can we schedule it for a different time? Because I'm more in my homebody introspective mood. So sometimes when someone thinks they don't get along with someone or that the person's ignoring them, it could be that the sun or a major planet like Saturn is going through their 12th house of spirituality and telling them literally ghost everyone. It's not about them. It's about you. And then once it enters their first house of the self, you could have a conversation with that person. It could be like, that was the best conversation I've ever had. So that's why it's really important to have that flexibility. And it's when you start being flexible and compassionate with your own changing seasons within yourself, allowing yourself to not always be the upbeat person. Or if you're mostly someone who tends to be cynical, looking at your chart and be like, when is the best time for me to actually put myself out there? It's as you practice being more flexible with who you are and holistic in who you are that you're more likely to have. Uh, But what I want to let everyone know is there will be some relationships that are inherently more challenging than others. And this does Mm. not mean that every relationship is on the same playing field. And that's where what you just said comes back into play. Sometimes the most challenging relationships are still the most successful because they don't take it for granted. They, 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 the mm. things that do work, they're able to, they feel like it's worth it. And, and when they study their chart and they accept, oh, we are going to actually not always see eye to eye and often butt heads and try to prove the other wrong. But look at this beautiful compatibility between our Venus signs. It allows us to also have a lot of presence with each other and openness and transparency. And so if we get on each other's nerves, we'll most likely tell each other that rather than be passive aggressive. And I will also mm. say... Don't think you're in luck just because you see a lot of green and harmony in your chart with someone else. And I talk about this in the book. You can, compa- you can compute your synastry with other people using astrological software because sometimes the relationships with a lot of harmony are the ones that are taken for, more, for granted. So it's always a matter of showing up and also being honest when you don't have the capacity to show up. So you keep someone in the loop if you need space, Mm. if you don't want to do the work. Because relationships Mm. should ideally flow and not always feel like a big responsibility to maintain. The most compatible Mm. connections are the ones that flow without the pressure of always having to be perfect. They flow even within the imperfections. Mm. And you 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 mentioned earlier, um, you know, in, in my might have been even before we started recording, speaking a bit about like the Orishas. And mm-hmm. so this is what I really love about the book is, you know, when I speak about, you know, your kind of black womanhood, let's just say that. Mm-hmm. Um, you're you're also, you're not just pulling in like um, kind of like Greek mythology based, you know, astrology, mm-hmm. right? Like you're actually tapping into our own African rooted like astro I was going to say astronomy astrology as well and specifically the orishas mm-hmm. what are orishas and how do they what how are they mixed up in this what role are they playing and how are you using them just for lack of a better term to help translate the stars yes 
Orishas are West African deities coming from the Yoruba religion or spirituality. Yoruba people are from the region now known as Nigeria, Togo, Bina, and the Yoruba spirituality was brought to the Americas during the transatlantic enslavement trade and is highly practiced in countries such as Brazil and Cuba. And at the basis of the Yoruba religion, it's more of a deity system where there's the creator, Urudumare, and the Orishas are emanations of the creator's energy. So just like many people believe that we are the universe itself, that we are made up of the same matter, even scientifically, it's proven that we are made up of the same molecules as stardust. That's a good way to look at Orishas. Each Orisha was sent to Earth in Yoruba spirituality and cosmology with a specific purpose and ability and power. What's interesting is we can see a lot of Orisha symbolism now represented in main media, but it has been gentrified or whitewashed. So for example, Thor, known as the God of Lightning, the Orisha equivalent, the OG Thor is Shango. And Shango is, happens to be married to Oya, who is the Orisha who controls weather. So the Greeks and the Romans studied in Kemet, ancient Egypt, and that's where they received the core of their knowledge that now makes up the foundation of astronomy and other astrological uh, fields, including uh, including the spirituality of astrology. So the fact that our planets are named after Greek and Roman gods and goddesses is due to the appropriations that the Greek and Romans did. Kemet is connected to Yoruba because not many people know, but there was a big genocide, very complex and very, 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 very painful for the local Kemites. And they had to emigrate out of, a portion of them emigrated out of ancient Egypt and came to what is now known as Nigeria. So the influences of the spiritual practices of the Kemites was brought to the Yoruba. So there's a connection between the Kemites and the Yoruba culture. And so as I studied this and really started revealing the fact that even though I grew up studying the planets, Venus, Mercury, Saturn, named after these Greek and Roman deities, when I started to understand the roles of the Orishas, I was like, wow, Aphrodite, it's actually Oshun. And the moon is Yemosha, the Orisha of fertility, the Orisha that shows us and reveals what our innermost desires are. And Ogun, the Orisha of war and iron, is what we call and refer to as Mars. And what's beautiful is that this is connected to all sorts of indigenous spirituality. People in India also have their deity system who they could connect to the planets. People in Latin America, same thing. And so it's just to show us and encourage us to remember that a lot of what we think or have been told was were created by the Romans and the Greeks originated in Africa since Africa is the source of humanity. And since it's proven that the Romans and the Greeks came to Africa to get the majority of their knowledge. 
Mm. Could you break down, because you actually do it in your book, um, you know, the word Ori, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The word Ori. What, is, what, is, what does Ori mean and how does that connect to what you just mentioned? Ori in Yoruba is our divine head. And the concept of the Ori is that even beyond the Orisha, because in Yoruba spirituality, we all are led by this particular Orisha, sometimes two, you would have to go to a practitioner and get a reading, similarly to how people go to astrologers or tarot readers to get readings, and they would let you know who your Orisha is. But your Ori is your divine head that is even more intuitively aligned with you, and it's the knowledge that you should be always following. But this only happens when you've listened to the messages of your Orisha. And so if we were to see the equivalent of that in astrology, it would be knowing your planetary ruler. I'll give a quick overview for people who know their rising sign. If your rising sign is in Aries, your planetary ruler is Mars. If it's in Taurus, your planetary ruler is Venus. If it's in Gemini, your planetary ruler is Mercury. If it's in Cancer, your planetary ruler is the moon. If it's in Leo, your planetary ruler is the sun, because in astrology, the sun and the moon are luminaries that are also viewed as planets. If your rising sign is Virgo, you are ruled by Mercury. If your rising sign is Libra, you are ruled by Venus. Scorpios are ruled by two planets, Mars and Pluto, because Pluto still counts as a planet in astrology. And then Sag rising, ruled by Jupiter. Capricorn is ruled by Saturn. Aquarius is also ruled by Saturn, and its modern ruler is Uranus. And then finally, Pisces is ruled by Jupiter and Neptune. And astrologers would tell you, when you know your planetary ruler, that's actually one of the best ways you can move through life. Because every sign, when you know your planetary ruler, you'll know what you're more inclined to do, what you're more inclined to be. So the same goes for your Ori. As you consciously take time to tap into your Ori, and I share resources in the book on how to do so, it'll be more clear for you to trust your divine knowing. And that really helps you develop a strong relationship with yourself. Your ore becomes an inner voice, a very strong inner voice that you can hear. And I believe our ore is connected to our divine ancestors. I think it's not just us. I think that becomes a channel, a channel for us. And Black Panther does do a very good job of, of showing how we can tap into the ancestral world. And a lot of Yoruba spirituality is honoring those who came before us and knowing that their energy is still here. Hmm. There's um. There's a quote. I'm just going to read it from the book. It's page 23 for anyone listening who actually has the book. Kind of double tapping on Ori. That just kind of took me out. Um. You know, through reading signs and skymates and connecting your insights with the metaphysical aspect of this expansive universe, you'll understand that your Ori or divine power source helps you become your own Orisha. Meaning, you are your own planet and you have discernment and intention regarding 
who's in or out of your orbit. This is one of the most powerful realizations to make in this lifetime and in all lifetimes. Many people think they're seeking compatibility with others, but they're truly seeking a better understanding of their own self, or rather, their multitude of selves. They're seeking to become more compatible with themselves and thus with life. And that... It just blew my mind. <laughs> right? Like, that... That First of all, folks who are listening, they're, this is... This is full of all types of downloads. Um, but like really, like that was such a really beautiful centering piece, right? Like understanding that you are your own planet. And just like any planet, right? Like your gravitation, your, you know, your gravity, your vibration, the waves that you're sending out attracts other planets, right? Other bodies, other pieces of mass, right? Um, And so, you know, so by tapping into your aura, Mm -hmm. you then get to see in real time by just observing who's around you, where you are and what you're allowing for, Mm -hmm, right? mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, and that not all people in your it doesn't always have to be harmonious right but it is about shifting right it is about changing right and so that that friction that maybe like being squared or you know mm-hmm, conjunction mm-hmm. or something you know i'm still learning but like but that tension that you feel is an in, is purely just indication right indication of some type of misalignment right between your body your planet your ori and that of what you are currently in conversation with or attracting at this moment but like that kind of frame of thinking of us as all kind of individually you know um you know individual planets that because of our own energy source are actually in the presence of all of these other bodies right some distant some close some more affecting some distant um just really flipped everything and so and also kind of reifies this idea of like compatibility or redefines this idea of compatibility because ultimately those lovers, right? Yes. Or that lover is also a reflection or a part of your own gravitational pull. Exactly. Right. And, you know, by, you know, you can remove judgment, you know, and really listen to your own emotion and feeling, which lets you know how to adjust Yes. in any situation. Yes. Right? And, and I love that. You really understand. So, yes. Yes. And it allows you then to become your own astrologer because my, yeah. my goal as an astrologer is, yeah, to, to present a key and people realize that the lock is within themselves. So it's cool mm. that they can feel inspired by my readings, but their internal navigation system, their own navigation system mm-hmm. has the power to guide them and their chart, especially 
So once you understand the language of the cosmos, then you become a student of it because I'm still a student. I learn so much about my chart mm-hmm, mm-hmm. on the daily and then astrology has so many layers. There will become a time where you don't need to know specifically what sign the moon is in. You don't need to know exactly when the next retrograde will be. You will, there will come a time where you truly embody your chart and you know when your body is telling you it's time to take a break from this friendship or it's time to apologize because your, your spirit is seeking to mend this relationship. And it's, mm, it's very powerful. Mm, mm. It's, when, it's when we trust ourselves on that level mm. that we start attracting really the connections that, and, and the ones we attract can still have tension because the tension is here to teach us something too. And if we're willing to work through it together, it can lead to a bigger breakthrough than if we had feared it and run away from the tension. So get curious about where the tension exists in your relationships and get curious about where the tension exists in yourself. That's also one of the best ways to work through jealousy. Mm -hmm. And jealousy is a very valid emotion. But sometimes we've been conditioned to protect ourselves whenever we feel jealousy from others. And it might be because we haven't made room to feel it entirely within our own self. So studying your chart will even highlight mm-hmm. your insecurities. It will highlight your flaws, the moments where you really do have mm-hmm. to work on something. And, and so once mm-hmm. you're able to look at yourself that way, you're less likely to push people away because of the same flaws or, or different flaws that exist in them. That doesn't mean tolerating abuse. That's my one yeah. disclaimer for all of these things is when it's abusive, there's no negotiables. Yeah. Yeah. And I think maybe even, you know, like thinking of tension more from a place of like, I I say like friction, right. Mm -hmm. And like, you know, changing our relationship to friction and how necessary friction is um, for forward movement. Like literally you could not walk forward if it were not for friction, because you actually have to have something to push against. Mm -hmm. And so those moments of tension, Right. Or even like jealousy. Right. Mm -hmm. Like that, like maybe, maybe, maybe jealousy is like there is an inner desire that you have not acknowledged and this person is living in it. Mm -hmm. And that is actually what it is signaling. Right. And so like the ability to remove the judgment and just look at it as, you know, a friction, there's a distance, there's some disconnect and I'm feeling the space. Right. Like my body feels the gap. And so what is this, you know, trying to teach me? But knowing that its presence in your life is the only thing that is going to push you forward. Right. Because if if thing, you know, you spoke earlier about relationships that feel so blissful and wonderful and lovely, because you and then you end up taking them for granted, right? Because there have there have not been those muscle ruptures, right? Which is the only way to actually build muscle is to actually tear it apart so that it can heal and come back stronger. And Absolutely. So, you know, really reshifting and rethinking our relationship um, to tension and or friction or, you know, just really listening in, you know, on our emotions is like such a helpful tool. It's our it's our inner barometer, right? That's really kind of guiding us and letting us know um, how to navigate. Um, I have one like Oh, okay. Wrapping it up, wrapping it up, girl. Because we've 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 been in the stars. Um, we have actually. This is actually so beautiful because um, we look at the Institute oh, of Black Imagination um, as a place 
Did we lose her, KT? <laughs> that was actually a really good um, play. Oh, here she comes. Okay, so when she comes in, I think you're going to have to go back out and come back in. <laughs> yeah, could you go back out and come back in, KT? Oh, goodness. We had a Mercury retrograde. Nope, we keep losing her. We lost her again. But that's okay. We can actually just uh, wrap it up when she comes back. The good news is like we literally had just ended a question, so it'll be a good cut for Adam. All right, here she comes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it just resets the screens. Hello. Do I say, can you hear me? Yes. Nope, she dropped again. Mm. Uh, well, I'm going to go use the restroom really quickly. Um, just talk to her when she comes back. Okay. Ooh, my bad about that. That was a big Mercury, post-Mercury retrograde moment. There was a technological difficulty. Sorry about that. Dario stepped away really quick. He should be right back. Okay. How are you? Everything's been going well with, uh, on my end. I'm getting ready for tour to pick back up uh, and spending time with my kids in the meantime. And it's, yeah. <laughs> my daughter is going to be seven in March and Remy is four, my son. So it's such a great age. Oh my gosh, I was just thinking about how Nova's going to be 17 in 10 years and I'm going to be, I was just like, I can't believe this is a thing. I, I, just, like, I just can't believe that teenage life is a thing and I don't know. <laughs> oh my gosh, I, I am not there at all yet, but I honor parents who are. I'm like, wow, y'all really did that for years and years and years and years and years and years. <laughs> Okay. Okay. No worries. Hey, sorry about that. Uh, speak. It's all good. <laughs> Speaking of signs, honey. <laughs> we're, I mean, we're we're pretty much almost done anyway. Okay. Um, 
but it, it was a really beautiful place to end um, or to start wrapping up. Um, so, Dose, um, this conversation has been absolutely incredible. Like, absolutely incredible. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. I just have a couple other questions. Um, yes. And I will return to you your evening um, and your children. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, um, you know, I kind of want to pull, you know, we've been in the skies and I kind of want to pull us down um, into, you know, the reality of like the lived experience um, and thinking about the forces outside of just the planets um, that may be affecting the way in which we're showing up in the world. Um, two of those biggest forces are patriarchy and capitalism. In that game <laughs> that we find ourselves in, how do our charts, our signs, our like how 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 does that affect the way they're actually showing up? Is there a, is there an effect? Oh yeah! Wow, powerful. I'm really happy you asked that question. Our house placements can show us what we're more drawn to putting our energy towards. So if you have a lot of 10th house, second house, you may see that things like power and money and values are important to you. So therefore, there might be certain systems in life that actually are more at your benefit. So when people sometimes see certain people go through a fast track or top of the career ladder or just seem to kind of view capitalism as a positive, it could actually be that there are placements in their chart that naturally give them an aptitude for that. But the 10th house and the second house can also be viewed on more spiritual levels. The more practical houses can all actually be used to transcend what the more simplistic view of them are. So I would recommend 10th house and second house people, including myself, I have 10th house moon, who may put pressure on themselves, which is amplified by the more capitalist society that we live in, I would recommend them to look into things like, what are my values? If people on an individual level start by asking themselves of their values, and my friend Rachel Cargill, she does a great workshop on uh, living according to your highest values, and she really helped me move a lot in that way, especially at the beginning of the year, asking yourself, what are your core values? The second house has a lot to do with values. The 10th house has a lot to do with more than just career, but your legacy. What do I want to leave in the world? Even if you don't have a lot of 10th or second house energy, it is still somewhere in your chart. So on on an individual level, in order to combat our own capitalist tendencies that we may or may not be aware of, I would encourage people to look at where 10th house is activated. That's if they know their time of birth. If you don't know, then look at where Capricorn energy is in your chart. And then second house, if you don't know your time of birth, look at where Taurus energy is. That is what will ground us in the moment rather than just be lost in what could be. And on a more political and overarching level, I'm actually really excited 
for what 2023 brings for us uh, because Pluto is the planet of transformation. It's been in Capricorn for over 20 years. And in just a few months, it will enter Aquarius. It will enter Aquarius from March to June, 2023. Then it will retrograde back into Capricorn for until the end of this year. And at the beginning of 2024, it will re-enter Aquarius for more than 20 years. And what this means is, Since Aquarius is all about revolution, power of the people, Bob Marley, Angela Davis energy, Angela Davis has a great quote saying, and I'm paraphrasing, that to be radical is to grab things at the root. That's true radicalism. And so having Pluto shifting out of Capricorn, where it's been for 20 years, and Capricorn is all about power structures, and that's why we've had this big push and pull between the past ways of going through capitalist ways of being, and that's just the way it is. And now we have more people saying, actually, what if I don't want to work anymore? What if I just want to choose rest? So what's going to happen is we're grabbing things at the root. What is it that conditioned us? What systems have attempted to keep us enslaved? And how can we, as Bob Marley said, emancipate ourselves from mental slavery? That is what Pluto and Aquarius will teach us for the next 20 years. And we have Saturn, the planet of challenge, leaving Aquarius on March 7th, entering Pisces until 2025. To have this connection of Saturn in Pisces and Pluto in Aquarius, Saturn wants us to choose love, especially when it feels like the opposite of what we should be choosing. That means we're going to enter a world where Two of the most opposing forces, let's just give an example, Democrats and Republicans, vaccinated and unvaccinated, will have to look at each other and learn to love. It seems scary. It seems impossible. We can list all the things that so-called Democrats said, all the things so-called unvaccinated said, vice versa, that would make us want to hate. And Saturn will say, I command you to love. Will it be utopia? No. Pluto will be in Aquarius, a completely different sign than Pisces. The tension, the friction will still be felt. Will we make it through? Millions of humans have made it through astrological transits. It's those tensions that have led to the biggest breakthroughs. So I believe that as a collective, we are exactly where we're meant to be. We need to take things breath by breath. And the more we stay connected to nature, the more capitalism naturally becomes less influencing It's less of an influence on us. That's one of the biggest life hacks for us to know. The more we connect to nature, the more our internal navigation system increases. Mm. Wear it out. I love love that Pluto kind of like just peeking in and then like, like, no, 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 not yet. And then like goes full <laughs> throttle, right? Because it's really like a pre-paving, right? Like Pluto's like, let me just give y'all a taste of what's coming. Okay, now get yourselves together because in yes. about eight months, I'm coming, I'm coming back strong. You understand completely. And because Scorpio is ruled by Pluto, Scorpios are going to be Scorpios and people with key Scorpio placement in their chart will be at the forefront of a lot of revolutions or behind the scenes of a lot of revolutions because Pluto is like operates behind the scenes. And technology is a big part of Pluto and Aquarius. So exactly, you're aligned with that. I'm excited to see where this podcast continues to soar 
because it's very Plutonian in nature, transforming people, transforming the consciousness and the collective and uniting people in the process. Hmm, that is a beautiful place to wrap. Uh, that was a lovely denouement. So, um, <laughs> you know, before I ask my last question, um, Jose, I just want to first thank you. Um, and secondly, like, just acknowledge you, acknowledge um, this incredible service that you provide to so many people, you know, around the world, um, bold face names and, you know, um, us regular folk, you know, down here on, on earth um, to just really help us see a little bit clearer. And I think that, you know, ultimately, at least my goal always is just clearer vision, right? Like more vocabulary, more words to speak to what I'm seeing or to reveal things to me that have always existed. And you're doing that in a multitude of ways via, you know, your book, Signs and Skymates, completely kind of, I think, really kind of revolutionizing and shaking up what we even understand, you know, astrology to even be or mean, including like, you know, compatibility and redefining that, um, you know, through your EP full of mantras for people to just kind of like tap in and kind of like let the words wash over them, you know, to Scorpio Mystique and then letting everybody else in on it, I guess, <laughs> with no the Zodiac, it's fine, I guess. Um, but thank you for keeping Scorpio Mystique. Um and and just being so vulnerable and sharing this journey of self-discovery, um, you know, the highs, the lows, the, you know, the ruptures, you know, and also like the triumphs, right? Um, but also being this, you know, um, diasporic melange that, you know, really I think uniquely sets you up to do the work that you're doing. And so... Um, I just want to acknowledge and thank you for that. You're an absolute gift. And thank you. I am fully appreciative and just, just to be honest, just giddy um, that you chose to be my skymate today. So <laughs> the feeling is it's mutual. It's <laughs> been fun soaring through the stars with you. Um, so thank you. Um, my last question, with everything at your behest, right, um, your Ori has full reign. What is the world you imagine for the future? I see lush greenery and collective gardens. I see a universal passport. I see healthy, toxin-free water that is free for everyone. I see sustainable reparations that acknowledges the trauma that certain populations and cultures have systemically experienced and that aims to remedy it through accountability. So that looks like 
governments who systemically enslaved or disenfranchised people are consistently giving grants for descendants of the enslaved to be able to return. The governments themselves are aware that this is what they must do. Unlimited grants, infinite amounts, until the return is as normal as us breathing. I see mothers and anyone who chooses to birth children being able to do so in the safest and most harmonious environments using indigenous methods and plant-based healing, very, very low mortality and maternal death rates because of the reconnection with our ancestry and the inherent knowledge that we are vessels of life. And those who choose to breathe life in different ways, not through motherhood, have the free reign to do so because they're not crippled with questions of when their next meal is coming. I see us living in a world beyond money in the way that we know. We can return to bartering. We can return to cowrie shells. We can return to looking at each other and being a gift through our presence with each other. And of course, my kids are about to come in just as I say that. So... (laughs) (laughs) Divine timing. It works out every time. Wow. Thank you. <sighs> Dosi, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Have an incredible, incredible rest of your week. And thank you for sharing your gifts, your time, and your vision with us <laughs> at the Institute of Black Imagination. It's a true pleasure. <laughs> <laughs> likewise, likewise. I don't know about you, but Dose Villa has me here in my dining room with a ruler and a compass and you know a telescope, really trying to figure out my birth chart. I don't know. How about you? We would love to hear your thoughts on today's episode over on Twitter and Instagram at Black Imagination. And if you love what you heard, leave us a review over on Apple Podcasts and share this episode with a friend. Be sure to check out this conversation and others at blackimagination.com. And you can now watch other episodes on our new YouTube channel, The Institute of Black Imagination. As writer Octavia Butler once said, there's nothing new under the sun, but there are new suns. Stay curious and keep dreaming.